Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Ducks Confidential Podcast. I am James Creppy and he is Aaron Fentress. And uh, today on this edition of the podcast, we'll go over the end of an era and the proverbial changing of the guard in the Oregon Ducks backfield as CJ Verdell and Travis Dye both moving on uh, different destinations at the moment. But Nevertheless, both moving on from Oregon and their times uh, with the Ducks coming to a close. So we'll chat about that. Uh, also touch on uh, just the running back room as a whole and everything else uh, as it relates to that position specifically for Oregon football and a little bit of Oregon men's basketball as well uh, following their very lopsided win over Washington uh, this past weekend. But we start, uh, as I mentioned, Aaron, obviously with uh, the news of the weekend and that being the departures of Travis Dye and C.J. Verdell, again, different destinations. Obviously, Dye, who had entered the transfer, por- transfer portal, ends up going to USC. Uh, not necessarily a surprise, uh, given that he is from uh, Southern California and from Norco. Uh, but So he will finish his college career, his last season of eligibility, with the Trojans and Verdell. Uh, also not a surprise, uh, but until it was formalized and formally announced, on Monday, uh, there was still the unknown. Uh, yes, it was the presumption, but now it is the known that he will be uh, remaining in the NFL draft, and that will be the close of his five-season college career, uh, the past two seasons being cut short due to injury, unfortunately. But nonetheless, uh, obviously two of the most prolific and productive running backs in Oregon history, uh, and the leader's in individual season rushing for the Ducks each of the last four years. Uh, your thoughts on the news of the past couple of days uh, for the Oregon backfield? Well, you know, they both put in four years on the field. They would only have the chance to come back and, of course, uh, die staying in the college one more year because of the COVID year. Uh, otherwise, they naturally would be moving on now uh, without any eligibility remaining. Um, but, yes, it's uh, – you know, it's it's a situation where you're losing two big time players, two very productive players, and their legacy is interesting. You know, I, I think they both had nice. I shouldn't say they both had really really good careers. I wouldn't rank them among the top ten backs necessarily in Oregon history. Maybe Verdell might get into the top ten. I'm trying to look at the list right now, but definitely two extremely productive backs uh, for Oregon, and they got some good young talent behind them. So we'll see what happens. But two very different stories these two are leading right now in terms of why they're leaving and where they're going oh for sure and and to the big picture 
in terms of first their their time at Oregon, uh, again for leaders in their own rights in different ways. Uh, CJ, a leader, the the kind of prototypical leader by example type. He was always a quiet guy. It's just the way that he is. It's yeah. the way he's wired. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't just all with interviews or media. I don't care about that. He was, but that's the least of it. He was a quiet guy in the room. He was a quiet guy in the running back room and talking with uh, now former running backs coach Jim Mastro about that over the years. CJ was not a boisterous guy. He wasn't a vocal guy. And that's not a knock. That's just what his personality was. He was and is a pro before he was a pro and how he approached things and how he carried himself. But he was not a vocal leader. That was not his way. His way was to lead the way and to show the way at times by the way in which he conducted himself and carried himself uh, on and off the field. And he brought it with a level of tenacity and intensity and really reckless abandon on the field every day. And what he did, obviously, we all saw it in games over the past four seasons, but he was that way in practice. I mean, in the glimpses we even saw over the years in the limited opportunities we'd get to see in practice, you saw that same tenacity and lowering of the shoulder in practice. Yeah, it wouldn't necessarily be the same scale of contact, to be sure, but he brought it. He brought it every day with that. And obviously to his own detriment at times, many times, including during games. But in 2018 and 2019, back-to-back thousand-yard seasons, did it both seasons, not only in the end result, but played through myriad injuries in both those seasons. Didn't miss a game in either of those seasons. Now, missed a lot of time along the way would miss a half of a game, would miss a quarter of a game, would miss three quarters of a game, but would never miss a start. You know, he answered the bell until he simply couldn't go anymore every single week during those seasons. And then in the off seasons, we'd go through the rehabilitation process for any number of injuries from, I mean, you want to talk about like head, shoulders, knees, and toes. I mean, that guy had everything. Everything. Shoulders. Uh, I think there was a neck in there at one point. Minor as it was. Minor, relatively speaking. <laughs> Knees, ankles, <laughs> hands. I, again, everything. Everything. He dealt with it all. So, obviously, his questions that he'll face heading into the NFL will be, uh, during the combine, the medical history. Uh, obviously, and especially when the last two seasons end with season-ending injuries and very different natures of things. Uh, one, just kind of uh, a freak thumb ligament injury uh, that, again, he also played through uh, that game and the following week and following weeks uh, after that injury before that could no longer continue. Uh, And then this past season, obviously, with the lower left leg injury against Stanford. And he was playing as a running back. He was playing as good or better than any running back in the country at the time that he went down. He was playing absolutely fantastic football the first month of the season until that injury. And the shame for him is that we never got to see what a full season at full health looked like with him throughout his four years because of the injuries that he played through for two years. The 2020 season, injury or not, was never going to be a full season for him just because of the way the Pac-12 handled things. 
And then this season, again, he got off to such a marvelous start uh, and ends up being derailed there again due to injury. So for him, uh, obviously moving on to the next level, again, not a surprise. Four seasons on the field, but five seasons because of the red shirt back in 17. So he had put in his time. Uh, and and his decision to ultimately move on uh, and stay in the draft, again, hardly a surprise by any stretch of the imagination, but nevertheless, uh, a significant loss. And Die was in many ways similar in that in the manner in which that he carried himself was similar uh, with the degree of professionalism and, and leadership and whatnot. But he was the vocal guy, especially this past season. Uh, and for my money, was he not just the best offensive player that Oregon had in 2021, which, I mean, there's no, I'm not sure there's really a close argument at all as to, to any other contender there. Because Kayvon Thibodeau missed basically a quarter, close to a third of the season, you could make the argument that Travis was the most valuable and important player on the entire team this season. Not in terms of pro potential, not in terms, we know, we know that Thibodeau is going to be a top three pick in the NFL draft. That's understood, but by way of what he actually meant every single week, yeah, you can make a case that Travis Dye was the best player on this team this past season. Uh, when he finally had that chance, when Verdell, albeit went down, it took over and didn't just end up leading them. Again, the performance that he had against Washington is one of the best in the rivalry's history. And th- th- there are moments that he provided along the way, particularly this year when he got his opportunity I remember when it happened. Hey, can he handle the 20 carries a game? He's never had to face it before. He did it in high school, but that was high school. It was a different scale. It was a different kind of competition, different physicality. Right. And he comes out the other side. Now, yeah, he gets to, we'll finish his career still at the college level before moving on to the NFL a year from now. And we'll see where he ends up, you know, at the professional level and the way that goes. But ultimately, again, two, two major leaders on and off the field. Different styles, different styles of runners, different styles of leaders. But their losses, it's less to me about how Oregon will replace them in rushing yards. It's more about how Oregon will try to replace them or how, you know, the challenge of replacing them in the intangibles. The tangibles, someone's going to carry the football. That was, you know, that was <laughs> whether they stayed or went. But how do you replace what they brought to the room over the course of the last four years? That's that's a bigger question. I hear you. I mean, you would know that better than I, being closer to the team. Um, you know, whenever you have a guy like that who just brings so much heart and, and commitment and dedication and you can rely on him uh, and you lose that, and you lose two of them, kind of, it, it, it can hurt. There's no doubt about it. And these young backs, not only, I mean, you said they're going to carry the ball, but someone has to step up as a leader of that group as well and, and become someone that Knicks or Ty Thompson can rely on and, and trust them to do everything that needs to be done from the running back position, which is not just running the football. So yeah, no doubt. Big losses. I, I think it would ease the transition for the offense to have one of those guys back, um, ease the transition from the new staff. Old staff to the new staff, excuse me. Um, but life, life goes on and I'm, I'm happy for both of them. Although I'm still wondering about the whole die thing. It's, it, it bothers me. Why? <laughs> what, what about it? I, I just, it's like, I'm not against him doing whatever he wants to do. He's from LA. He's going to go to LA. Who I, I don't know anything about the conversations he's had with, with Lanning. He's had with uh, USC, all the different things that, that are going into his decision. I just, it's just a product to me 
of this portal system, which I don't think in the long run is necessarily good for college football. Um, and it's just, it's just bizarre. Like I'm thinking back to some of the other great players in the Oregon history and like imagining what it would have been like if any of them had just left for their last year, you know, <laughs> like just, Oh, I'm done at Oregon after having a great career. I'm just going to go over to an interconference rival and someone, you know, as hated as USC and play for them now. It's just, it's just, it's just weird to me. And I, I, yeah, it, it just bothers me. It doesn't, again, be clear. It doesn't bother me that he has made a decision that he feels best for him. It just bothers me that college football is now set up for this type of thing to happen more and more often. It's one thing for backups to leave to look for a better place to, you know, get more production. It's another thing for a stars to leave. That to me is just weird. But the grad transfer things existed for before the portal. Before the one-time transfer, he would if he left five years ago, he would have been a graduate transfer. But how many major stars did that? I mean, it how many how many teams leading a, rushers transfer because as a grad transfer? How many star quarterbacks transferred as a grad grad transfer? Well, of course, it's like, rare. It's it's of course ever. it's rare. Right. That, but I mean, if, in terms of there's there was still select circumstances going back even more than five years ago. Hell, I mean, Russell Wilson finished his career at a different school, but he lost his job. To Mike Glennon. That's my, so if you're a backup and you leave, that, that's, that 100% makes sense. Okay. I'm not the starter here. They, they've picked Glennon over me, but I know I'm starting caliber, especially quarterback of all positions because you don't play multiple quarterbacks. So I'm going to leave and go to Wisconsin where I can start. I don't even think North Carolina State even cared that much. But if a Marcus Mariota after 2012 is like, man, I tore it up 2012. I'm testing the portal. To see how much money I can get from another school or look for a better situation. That kind of thing is what I'm just like, you know, that's different than Wilson or even, you know, the, the backup guy moving along. And again, to me, it, it, I, I think if, they, if we're all operating in a vacuum, you know, there's for one, by way of competition, there's competition factors. Um, and to every one of these decisions, again, historically, especially uh, as part of it, uh, coaching changes or not. Could be part of it. And look, you know, yeah, you could say the change in the offense is less impactful uh, at the running back position compared to others, unless it's a, a, a total systematic change, you know, of extremes, like a triple option to an air raid or vice versa or something like totally wildly different or something. Uh, but overall, in general, uh, that the running back position is the one probably least truly impacted uh, other than maybe center or something. Uh, for, you know, from the skill position standpoint, when an offense changes, sure. But for older backs as these two guys were, they, they would have been playing in, you know, yet another system, uh, and under a different head coach. Okay. You know, sure. But it would have been a different head coach for Verdell. It would have been a third head coach. Is the system that different? You mean just terminology? Terminology, games, terminology you know, scheme, but ultimately, I think the bigger thing more than anything, I mean, when you get to the, the age that they are, beyond the terminology, whatever, because again, look, they're going to move up. For Fidel, you move on to the NFL, guess what? There's a new system, there's new terminology, there's new offense, whatever you do. And again, you, for Dye, he transfers, well, there's a new system, new terminology, whatever he did, ultimately. Um, stay, go, pro, college, either way, they're going to have something new. Becomes about people. It comes about, you know, you had stability in the room, not only with each other, but, you know, again, I mentioned Jim Asher before. 
he was a position coach for both of them for the last four years. You know, I'm, and I'm not making about any one thing, but I'm talking about what were those guys used to? Those guys were used to, even when the coordinator changed, Mastro State. You know, so there was a change there from a position level, from a coordinator level, from a head coach level. That's a total system reset. And how much that did or didn't play into things is up for those guys to speak to. They haven't, you know, they haven't said one way or another about that, um, or what have you. But that's for them to speak to. But again, for Verdell, I don't think there's really much of it to speak to. I think it's 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 time to go kind of thing. Yes, he would have been afforded another opportunity, but how many running backs, even with that opportunity, especially given the volume of carries that he had taken over the course of four years, how many of them would ever think about returning uh, to college at that point, with with or without the eligibility? How many of them would think about doing that? Um, you know, especially a running back. Most guys are thinking on a three year clock, not a six year clock college eligibility clock so for him i think it's far again far less surprising for die and and choosing to finish his career somewhere else like i say i think there's any number of circumstances that play into it here i I do think that the idea the notion that this is all part of a, a master plan or scheme on his part for a payday is unbelievably uh naive Quite frankly, and, and way too convenient to, to try and explain away and rationalize something when, you know, that's just not the case. If it was all about a payday, he could just go go to the NFL. If it's about payday, go to the NFL. Oh well, it, well unless unless it, unless you know you're not you don't have a, unless you got a poor draft grade, you know you're gonna have a struggle to even make a practice squad. That would be the difference there. But now we think a guy who ran for 1,200 yards at the Power Five level is gonna have a hard time making a practice squad. Practice squad, not an active 53. I don't know what his draft rate was, but if, if, it's, if he if he wondered about that, I mean, there's a lot of unknowns. If you know the answer, great. But I'm just saying, if he if his draft grade was you're going to be an undrafted free agent, and you know who knows if you'll make a roster. And you look around the NFL and go, hmm, am I going to make am I going to make 152 grand on the practice squad? If I'm not, oh, maybe I maybe I come back, or maybe USC is going to give him 100k anyway, so you go home and play for 100k um, in your backyard. Who knows? This is all. It's right. All, it's all kind of speculation and conjecture. So I think, like, ultimately, again, uh, to the system, hey, the this, this system is operating clearly as it is in college football these days, to your point. Um, I don't totally disagree with you in that I think there's a, a it warrants a discussion more so in the offseason at a different point about what's good for the game. But that was a conversation, uh, one, that's an ongoing conversation that happens all the time. But two, Player movement should never have been as restrained and constrained as it was. You know, the fact that there's greater freedom of movement now, well, again, it existed in all the other sports. You know, we just didn't talk about it as prominently because it was in the, for many people, for many college sports fans, the less prominent sports, the sports that they chose not to follow. But it existed in all the other sports. It just didn't exist in football before or men's and women's basketball as much before but let's not act like transfers was some new concept or something again there's already men's college basketball players playing for three teams over the course of their careers i'm not clutching my pearls because somebody chooses to you know it's a it's it's it happens to be newer yeah it's all conference guys look look at oregon's roster every given year they brought in multiple all conference players this season so i mean again is this like some some 
holy threshold that we're crossing. <laughs> it, it just happens to be at a grander scale because it's football and there's more players. But again, but in I, the, in this, let me ask you this. In, in, in the situation with, with Oregon, when those grad transfers or whatever would transfer in for basketball, is my recollection that none of those, in, in the end, this is more back when I was covering it more closely, that the teams they were leaving weren't necessarily destroyed that the guys were leaving. Like there was sort of like a mutual parting of the ways as opposed to them just bailing on their program to go somewhere else. And usually it was much later in their career, which dies obviously later. Um, and not necessarily to a rival. There was, there was always a different feel to every, every transfer Oregon brought in for basketball than die going to USC. I agree with what you're saying totally about that. Yeah, this is, this isn't completely new. What I'm saying is I think we're at the tip of the iceberg and it's just going to be an annual literal free agency market with everyone on one year deals coming out, of, you know, after their freshman year. And it's just going to lead to this, this, these mass transfers all the time. And I don't think that's good for the sport. Whether it's fair or unfair or what have you, it's just to me, like, I think at the end of the day, I think at the end of the day, they're going to change the rules. They're going to do something to try and make it more restrictive or figure out, like my idea the other day I threw out there was, uh, you know, a co, if the, if you are a starter and established and an established star, you can be restricted. And if you didn't want to come here and play, so if you years, suck, if you're if you're the fifteenth string, if you're eighty five out of eighty five after multiple years, get on out of here. Best of luck to you. But no, if you're an all conference no, 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 player, no. stick around. No. You stuck. Just hear me out on this. There's a bigger picture to this. So, the player who is not playing, the idea that he, if he transferred, he had to sit out a year, was always ridiculous to me. Like when Brian Bennett left because Mark, because Mario to beat him out. Like it was like, it was that fall and it was like, he needs to leave now so he can play at the, at the major college school the next year. Well, he didn't. He stayed the backup. Chip Kelly talked to him this thing. He stayed. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Well, he ended up going down a level anyway the next year. But my, I always, I think that's wrong. Like you should have to sit out a year if you're a backup and you're not in line to start or what have you. If you are the starter and the program has recruited you and coached you and developed you, they shouldn't be able to just lose you on a whim because you decide you want to go look around and go somewhere else. Like, well, no, wait, we've invested all of this into making you, helping you become what you are as a part of building this program. And now you're just going to go look somewhere else. Okay. Now, the flip side of that is, okay, he's going to go look somewhere else. So someone else on another team is going to go and I'll go get him and replace him. And so mm-hmm. why, why, why? Which Oregon might end up doing right, right now. Right, exactly. But why did, did why, okay, let's say Caleb Williams. Kellen Williams is leaving Oklahoma. Maybe because it's Riley fine, but someone of that stature is leaving. Okay. So I, I just go out and get someone else a star quarterback and then someone else gets their star quarterback. And so I just, you know, these quarterbacks just 10 quarterbacks just jumping around the different teams for mm-hmm. what reason? Somehow over the history of college football, star quarterbacks have done very well staying in one place and just being star quarterbacks. But now all of a sudden we're opening this door where, and, and we're talking about 18, 19 year old ego maniacs who are driven by oftentimes not very savvy parents and or uncles, street agents, whatever, who are telling mm-hmm. them all the time, dude, 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 you're the man, you're the man, you're the man. They're going to make crazy uh, 
not well thought out decisions. And I just think in the end, that's not good for college football. So what I would suggest is that literally a coach could have a protected list where you're on this list. You can't just jump in the portal and leave. You can leave, but you got to sit out of here. You can't just leave right away because I have you on my roster protected list, just like when you have expansion draft in the pros. Now, if you're, and then maybe you limit that to a cap, 25 guys. So and that's part of the recruiting process. I'm recruiting you. If you become a star at my program, you're going to be on that protected list. So make your decision wisely, young freshman kid. Don't say, oh, I'm just going to LSU right now for this year. And then at the end of the year, I'll decide if I want to, you know, jump back and jump into the portal and become a free agent. Like that kind of crap can't fly forever. Anyway. Back to you, sir. <laughs> Clearly, Aaron has given us a lot of thought to unilaterally, collectively bargain in lieu of a union representation, contract, or anything else. But uh, again, he's got – wow. I mean, that is a robust series of thoughts, none of which will ever happen. So uh, you have the proposal, though. So, you know, again um, – when, hey, I always uh, said, if I were if I were emperor, the galaxy of the world would be a lot better. I can't make things happen though. <laughs> uh, right now, hey, baseball's got a lockout, so uh, Aaron's going to show up and negotiate with Rob Manfred um, at this point because. <laughs> oh, I fixed that goodness. overnight. Are you um, kidding me? Boy, oh boy! Oh my God! Major League Baseball needs to get rid of the ten-year contracts, four-year uh, contract yeah, max. Yeah, That's you see, later, like I told you, you know, Aaron's ready to go. <laughs> And if hey, NFL is hey, ready NFL's to go to the right, negotiating table right, right now, ready and rare on, on any different number of fronts. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't know, hey, hey, uh, listen, the protected list, the the, 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 the okay, I, I do believe at some point it's gonna there's gonna be a pullback on the just the free agent shenanigans. I do believe that's gonna change. So you we'll view it through this prism of its shenanigans. I view it through. Boy, the free oh, market seems to work for everybody else. Oh, they may make bad decisions. You're right. They may make bad decisions sports, like listen, every listen, other sports, adult sports, in any other country. Sports is a different animal. Sports is a, di- sports yeah, it is. Is a different animal, man. But it's a different animal. you can't legislate and mandate smart decisions for the significant portion of players who go in the portal and don't end up at the same level or may not even find a home at all. Sport. Well, that's it's their decision. It's not good for the fans. It's not good for the like, – I, I, man, whatever. Anyway. We can go. We, we, we'll have plenty of time to argue about this. Uh, so where are we? To where, to where the <laughs> running back room finds itself now. Uh, oh, without, okay. Yeah. Let's talk about without that. each of them. Let's talk about uh, that. There are three scholarship running backs still on the roster. Uh, two of them. I have at least five, don't you? I personally, I believe that. Yes. Um, I, I think that that's a number that's okay. We agree pretty much where the target should be uh, again unless you're operating a specialized form of an offense where uh three or you know where three is okay uh or where you need more than five uh like a triple option quite honestly where you definitely need more than five uh so uh, outside of the extremes that yes in a base 11 base 12 personnel offense i would say five is kind of the ballpark number and th- again right now oregon has three uh, scholarship running backs, two of the three, entered the portal this offseason and quickly removed their names from the portal uh, shortly thereafter. So that just shows you the level of uh, uncertainty uh, at the position as a whole this offseason already here. Now, do you think do you think both decided to come back in part because they figured Di and Riddell were leaving? Do you think there's any connection to that at all? Uh, for the, Well, again, I think the 
I think CJ's announcement yesterday was a formality that, again, had been the widely held assumption ever since the injury. Uh, again, he had not been around the program on a day-to-day basis since the injury occurred. And that's not knocking him. That's just um, that's a statement of fact. Yeah. Um, you know, he got hurt. He, he went home he to rehabilitate and, and get medical treatment and whatnot um, and go through that process. He was not in the facility every day. You know, the first game that he was back on the sideline after the injury was the Pac-12 championship game in Las Vegas. Um, so, again, and that's fine. Again, I'm not knocking him. Um, but point is, is I don't think anybody in the room was disillusioned uh, or, or, or misaligned with the idea that CJ was moving on to the pros next, uh, ultimately. So um, now in terms of what Travis was thinking or not as it related to anybody else and their thought process, again, that's obviously for them to speak to, and I'm sure we will at one point or another when we next speak to uh, Seven McGee and um, Sean Dollars in particular because those are the two young guys who did go in the portal uh, briefly here. Again, really briefly. In the case of Seven, it was about 90 minutes. Uh, and in Sean Dollars' case, it was about you know two days. Uh, so we will – Certainly examine that with each of them. That's for them to speak to. Having said that, does had Travis return, does it really change anything that wildly? And I say that because, to your point, well, they probably need five. And they're pursuing Jared Broussard, the 2020 Pac-12 Offensive Player of the Year, the Colorado running back, who has two years of eligibility remaining. Well, who ends up having the better season if Broussard stays in the Pac-12? We'll see, whether it be at Oregon or anywhere else. But point is, is whether it's Derek Broussard there, potentially, or another transfer if he chooses to go somewhere else, or Travis, the veteran in the room is still the veteran in the room, no? Now, you may think that the, the share and split of the carries may be different if it's Travis as opposed to somebody else. And that's, you know, a different perspective. Again, the entire, the, the offense is changing. The whole regime is changing. So I'm not sure you can, anybody can go in with the presumption that, well, if Travis stayed, he would have gotten X share of the running. You know, I have no idea about that. I don't know any, I don't know anybody who can say that right now. How can you? You haven't seen, <laughs> you haven't seen a single practice. Uh, so I mean, anyone on the outside, hell, even anyone on the inside. Again, there's, a, there's a total regime change going on. So. Again, I, I think it's a little, that's really, really speculative. Um, but again, to the, where the room stands, it's Byron Carbell Jr., who obviously showed quite a bit of flashes last season, uh, particularly once CJ went down and then it was Travis and Byron had to be the number two guy. He really stepped in in a big way. You saw him in certain spots have some pretty big games. Obviously, the Colorado game being one of them. Now, Colorado's defense was terrible, um, as a whole, but especially that day and, and without its best player, Nate Lamon. But be it as it may, still had the production. Uh, still, you know, made good reads and is a bigger guy, uh, in general. If Broussard ends up being the guy to join the group by way of the transfer portal, well, then that's a different kind of running back, uh, has some pretty, pretty good pull away speed, scat back kind of in size, uh, in nature. So that I think if Broussard ends up being the guy, they complement each other quite nicely. Dollars, who didn't play last season because he was still recovering from the injury that he suffered at this point, just about 11 months ago. Hey, you saw him make some flashes back in the 2019 season when he redshirted, played in four games, but redshirted and played in that Rose Bowl. And then in the shortened 2020 season in the Pac-12 championship game against SC. And that's basically when all of his production happened in the very short season that was. This year, unfortunately, dealt with the injury and, and the recovery from it. So having him in the room 
uh, and on the field certainly boosts things regardless, you know, just in general at the, the running back rotation. And lastly, Seven McGee. And I think he'll end up splitting time with, at the slot receiver position regardless, uh, no matter what happens at the running back spot, no matter who may join or not. Just because of his skill set, I think he's a guy who you want to have on the field in as many different ways as possible. He's just a versatile guy like that. Then, And more important than anything, he's going to wear number seven. He wanted to make that known yesterday, yes, um, as well. So uh, some changes there. I prayed on it. And then, uh, look, the you know, if they end up adding a, a high school running back to the mix as well, you know, basically bookend the current group, which oddly enough, all three of the returning backs who are on scholarship are all also sophomores. Now, Cardwell and McGee are true sophomores. And again, just for those who are you know trying to follow everything from an eligibility clock standpoint, I know it gets confusing these days due to the, the paused year in 2020, but believe it or not, Sean Dollars is about to be a fourth-year sophomore because he redshirted in 19. So he was a redshirt freshman in 20, which was a free year. He was a third-year freshman this season, didn't even play again due to the injury, and now a fourth-year sophomore. So in terms of stacking the scholarships in the room, bringing in a player from the portal, again, whether it's Jack Broussard or not, somebody from the portal who is older, where it's a shorter time commitment, and then bringing in a high school running back who you hope to develop and maybe get some limited touches, but again, utilize that four-game redshirt rule to your benefit and those things, that's how you stack the room better over the course of the next couple of years as well. So I do think that they'll end up probably needing to get to at least four, but preferably five in general, and that that could be the way that they go about it. And again, they're certainly pursuing a couple of different backs uh, in that regard. Lastly, so here's, so okay. here's my question. Here's my, hold on. Here's my question though. Like if, if I'm dollars and like you said, he's going to his fourth year in the program, if, you know, if die and Verdell are gone, which they are, and you're looking at you and Dollars maybe being one two, and then they go out and they bring in someone like Broussard, who was player of the year in the conference. Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm Dollars, I'm like, well, so now am I going to be third in my fourth year in college? Which might have been why he thought about leaving in the first place. Again, I don't know his conversations with Lanning, what they what the nature of those were, but you know, that's that's. I just wonder if he thought that was a possibility when he decided to stay at Oregon, or if he thought, well, Verdell and Dyer are gone. I'm at least going to be number two, and me and Verdell are different, so we're going to bring different things to the table. They go out and bring in a star, another star back, then that probably pushes him down. And so now he's like, oh, I'm going to be third string in my fourth year in college. So I just wonder, you know, what could be going on there? Because that wouldn't be a situation I would be appreciative of. He wants to play. Everybody <laughs> does. He wants to play. I'm not sure anybody right. on a single roster in college football is saying, you know – that's not what I'm saying. Uh, you know, you know what my point is. Don't deviate from the point. Uh, the point is, I kind of like taking bio two hundred one. You know how uh, he's going to feel about them going out and getting a back like that, and maybe pushing him down the depth chart again. But if you look historically at at the offenses that Kenny Dillingham has uh, coached on over the course of his career, it's not like they've been eighty twenty between two backs, and that's it. Any successful offense these days 
utilizes at the college level utilizes multiple backs yeah of course there's a lead guy who gets a significant share there's a number two guy even at the nfl level he doesn't want a cyrus he doesn't want cyrus numbers he doesn't he you know he doesn't want cyrus numbers is ahead of where he just was and where he's been and and again, you're assuming we'll that you know we'll that the guys who are, are also there are going to be taking these super prominent roles. I'm not. I'm not saying they are. They aren't. One, we're all. It's all based on the predication right now that they add somebody out of the portal, which they haven't done yet. Yeah, they're pursuing. Well, that was the they just point. had Broussard know, on campus, was, but it's not done. I know, but that was my entire yeah. point. I know that was my entire. So, point. so again, we'll see. And, and guess what? To bring someone, I wonder how he thinks about. We'll see. What he and and again, we'll hopefully we'll talk to him here in the not too distant future ahead of spring practice and whatnot. And the other part with the portal is never closes. Business doesn't close on the portal. Portal's still open. It's open today. Yeah. It's open tomorrow. It'll be open a week from now. It'll be open a month from now. And in order to play in the exactly. fall of 2022. You just got to be in it by May 1st. So any kind of movement for anybody in, out, left, right, and backwards, Oregon, Oregon State, or, you know, Bemidji State, if they had a, if yep. they had a football team, I think. I don't even know if they do. You can go in the portal any day between now and May 1 and still play in the fall. So player movement will continue. Much to Aaron Chagrin. He wants to come up with a protected <laughs> list again. He, you know, if we're up to him, that's right. You know, protected certain list. Certain guys will be under lock. Got to be able key. to build a program, man. You can't build a program with guys just coming in and out, left and right. It's just not how it works. And uh, adapt or die. It's bad, but, uh, bad for the sport. Uh, bad for the sport. But, but, uh, for the sport. Uh, there we go. <laughs> You're listening to Ducks Confidential. We'll be back after a quick break. Lastly, to uh, to the basketball front, since uh, the Oregon men are coming off a uh, historic win over Washington, historic in its margin of victory. Uh, not, I would say, not historic to necessarily beat Washington. They've been doing that quite a bit lately, uh, and particularly this bad Washington team at the moment. Uh, but historic by margin of victory, 28 points, and it wasn't that close, uh, to be quite honest. 35 at the half, and uh, had the foot stayed on the gas pedal, I think it could have gotten a whole lot worse. But a 28-point pillar to post, absolute shellacking in the first half. Oregon forced more. Is that turnovers. why you? Is that why you tweeted out like 25 exclamation marks? No, that on <laughs> Sunday. That no, that happened well before the basketball game on Sunday night. Oh, okay, okay. Tweeted out that, the exclamation marks because okay. of uh, uh, an NFL team that made a rather big comeback, uh, only to then turn around okay. and then. Because uh, I, I saw it way after the fact. I didn't yeah. do the math in my head, but I thought it was like in reference to the beat. No, but go no, ahead. it was in reference to. Uh, Digging oneself out of a three touchdown deficit only to uh, blow it mere moments later. Um, but, uh, well, what are you going to do? Uh, that's, that's the way it goes. You know, you can't, uh, you can't win every Super Bowl. Uh, you know, was that your team? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. We're talking about Tampa? Yeah. Are you a Tampa fan? Uh, indeed. Or a Brady fan? No, Tampa. Oh, I knew, no, dude, I knew this because we talked about Jameis. Um, mm-hmm. Last year, I knew that. Mm-hmm. That's right. Oh, and again, how's he doing? How's your boy, dude? See, dude. see, my team, my Are franchise you, see, no, has I, a no, trophy. Do, do not even, do not even pretend no. Jameis wasn't doing well this okay. year. Do uh, not no, even no, pretend he's that. Fun. He's still fun. Okay, I, okay. I just, I just, I just, you know, my team has a, you know, has a second Lombardi Trophy hanging around, and uh, you know. What, what's your? I don't understand your point. Your point was that did I ever said you said you I said that Jameis you said that Jameis was going to win a Super Bowl before Tampa did. That's what he said. That's what he said. I said before Tampa ever, ever wins one. 
That's what he said. I said, I said, I think Jameis will win a Super Bowl in his life. I didn't, I said before Tampa, everyone's won. No. I said that. Mm-hmm. And you, and you said that, that, that Jameis would win one. And I disagreed on both fronts, but be that as it may. That's a side topic. Well, That's did, an offline conversation. No, no, no. Nobody but, listening to this okay, podcast but, cares about yeah, our conversation from two I, I years ago about now. the relative no, no, merits no, they, of James no, Winston's they, quarterback. No, no, people care. No, people they care don't. Because you like no, to twist don't. things. You like to twist things. That was before care. you guys got Brady. They do not That's care. That's before you guys got Brady. That's before you guys got Brady. Right. Quit, see, you, you like to try and twist the facts, they, man. They, you know, no I, one I, I listening see, cares about this. No one care. cares about they this. Again, care. that that's what the reference to the exclamation marks on Sunday was. Again, ahead of the basketball Tampa game. Lost. Ha, ha. Again, when they were down three touchdowns, <laughs> I resigned myself to it. That's why I, I didn't you know lose exactly a lot of sleep over it. I was like, oh, well, they're going to lose. And then they came back, and I went, well, holy cow, how'd that happen? And then, sure enough, about 90 seconds later, I went, it might, it might have been Jameis beating him this year. Yeah, it must have been. He hadn't gotten yeah, hurt. Yeah. Well, you know, but if, if Jameis, if Jameis were in LA, injured. maybe we could have said something, but, uh, he's not. He's not. Uh, you know, he's in the, he's hey. in the other LA. Uh, he's in lower Alabama. Uh, but, uh, nah, be that as it may. Again, to the game that we're actually <laughs> talking about here. Uh, and the Oregon men, uh, again, a pillar to post, just absolute thrashing of Washington. Um, I don't know how much of it you caught after the uh, the weekend that was in the NFL and everything else. Um, I had a Blazer game, but I did catch a little bit that, of it. Uh, it was pretty impressive. Yes. Uh, and where this program finds itself now, again, heading into a game tonight against Colorado, uh, and then a, a rematch with Oregon State here this weekend, where uh, if the Ducks end up taking care of business this whole week and cap off the month with two more wins, obviously not just extending a win streak at that point to uh, what would be tonight, a seventh, and at that point, uh, if they get through the whole month, eight straight wins, really picking themselves up from the precipice of forget about the regular season. This is just about trying to put together a, a nice run over the course of a couple of days in Vegas to they are very much not just this isn't even about a bubble conversation anymore. This is about <laughs> how far in are they right now? Now, again, a lot can change in the next six and a half weeks, but they have come roaring back. In a big way, and credit to him. Yeah, you know, obviously we touched on the the LA sweep, uh, you know, in the last edition of the podcast. But this one against Washington was, uh, I'm sure, for the fan base, very enjoyable, um, to say the least. I, I can only imagine um, how uh, how fun that one was. You had to figure Oregon would win, right? But to to me, it seemed like to sort of back up what you did against USC and UCLA. You want to take apart an or- a Washington team that's clearly not that great. And they just demoralized them. And they did all the things that Dana wants his teams to do, right? Don't make silly mistakes, play good defense, get good shots. I mean, it was the first half was just ridiculous. It was beyond a clinic. It was almost unfair. Yeah, it was, it was really yeah. was. It was beyond a clinic. That was, I mean, the, at, at halftime, I went, I'm not, sh- I'm thinking of my own self is going, I'm not sure what they didn't do really well. Not just didn't do okay or acceptable. Like, I'm like, right. what? Basically, what could they be saying at halftime to actually critique here? Um, I know. What's the end of the thing? It's like, okay, guys, we really need to work on. Uh, yeah. I don't know. Did we miss a free throw or something? This, yeah, we missed some free throws. We didn't work on our free throw shooting. Just like, <laughs> other than keeping the foot on the gas, which obviously they didn't, which I mean, look, when you're up 30 some odd points, I get it. I do. That said, of course, when you want to get to the, the teaching lessons of, all right, but when you, but when it's not 35, when it's 19, when it's 18, and you do that, and a team can come back, and it's a tournament, and da 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 da. But you know, teaching that lesson in mid-January when you're up 35 at home, 
you know, I, it's part of the job. I understand that from a coaching perspective, but at the same time, for the player side of things, like, hey, when you're up 30, you know, <laughs> I, I get the idea that, like, yeah, let's just get through this and get it over with. Um, and they, they definitely, again, did that, did that in a very, very big way, uh, and got it in historic fashion. And, uh, look, we'll see at the end of the regular season, uh, when they do have to go up to Seattle, if they're able to, uh, do it all over again. Uh, and then what kind of pressure that may, uh, put on the, uh, Washington men's basketball program, uh, in terms of a leadership standpoint and, 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 Relative fairness and context, I'd say more than fairness. Uh, Mike Hopkins did not coach in either of Washington's games this last weekend against the Oregon schools uh, because he was in COVID protocols. But be that as it may, uh, his record here the last couple of years has uh, not been good, to say the least. Having said that, compared to how Washington opened the season, which was about as disastrous as one could possibly open the season, they got on the right track before Sunday night. With the, you know, the, at that point, they came in with a three game win streak. Things were better. And frankly, it's better for not just the Ducks, but better for the Pac 12. As many teams are not in the quadrant four conversation, which right now, the only one who is, is Oregon State. It would behoove everyone in the league for everybody else to not fall, to basically stay and as many teams in the quad three, obviously, you know, quadrant one, no kidding, but certain teams can't climb that high, climb that high these days. Avoiding quadrant four and staying in valuable data points is as, you know, it's, it's important come selection Sunday. So that game, believe it or not, was a quadrant three game for Oregon. And again, not the Ducks fans. I'm not, not, not suggesting to Oregon fans to start pulling for the Huskies, but you, in your own best interest, uh, for Washington to actually, you know, win the quote unquote games it needs to win against the Oregon States and Cal's and Utah's of the world. You actually do want Washington to win those games if you're a Ducks fan. You really do because those aren't opponents who are necessarily going to help you from a data point standpoint. But Washington staying above water, proverbially speaking, uh, for, for selection Sunday purposes, that helps you, um, when, when we get to that conversation, but. That will be a, a topic, I'm sure, between now, uh, and we'll probably touch on it a couple of times between now, uh, and Selection Sunday with a few more editions of the podcast. Uh, that will wrap up this edition of the podcast. A reminder for those who don't already, and many of you do, and we thank you, but for, in case you don't, because there are a portion of you who don't who do to listen, make sure to subscribe to the podcast so that way you don't have to keep, uh, listening and all the various other methods. You can just make it very easy on yourselves by subscribing. That way it pops up in your feed on your whatever device, your tablet, your phone, whatever, whatever, whatever your device of choice. Subscribe, give us a five-star review, like the whole thing, so that way it helps more people find us as well. Like I say, I appreciate everybody who listens as always. We will see you again soon, uh, I'm sure, uh, in the not-too-distant future. Uh, I'm not sure when when exactly, but I, I doubt it'll be all that long from now. And uh, we'll touch on, I'm sure, more basketball and then after signing day and where things stand heading into spring practice and all those kinds of things. That will probably be among the myriad topics we get to between now and then. Until then, uh, again, I'm James Kreppi and he is Aaron Frentress and we will see you next time. <laughs>